okay. Well, I guess get you a songbook. We're going to turn to number 57. Number 50, have they pulled up yet? Yeah, I guess I have pulled up. All right. Well, we go ahead and sing first. All right. Number 57. Yeah, I understand. 
is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I and my Savior am happy and blessed, watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness. Lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Amen. One more. Turn over to 216. 216. Dwelling in Beulah land. That's a lie. There you go. There it is. Upon my ear is falling. Then I know the sins of earth be fed on every hand. Doubt and fear and things of earth in vain to me are calling. None of these shall move me from Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain. Underneath the cloudless sky, praise God, I'm drinking from the fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land, far below the storm of doubt upon the world is Sons of men in battle on the enemy withstand. Save am I within the castle of God's word retreating. Nothing then can reach me, tis land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise Fountain that never shall run dry. Oh, yes, I feast on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in Beulah land. Bangladesh, hearing hear the works of God, I sing in contemplation. Hearing now his blessed voice, I see the way he planned. Dwelling in the spirit here, I learn a full salvation. Gladly will I tarry in Beulah land. I'm living on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. Praise God, I'm drinking. From the fountain that never shall run 
cry, oh yes, I'm feasting on the manna from a bountiful supply, for I am dwelling in beautiful land. Amen. I almost blowed the horn on you. I was going to see if y'all ready for the rapture. <laughs> y'all, for those of y'all don't know, we got one under here. Got a little... Oh, no, it's there. A little rapture check. Amen. Make sure everybody's ready. Um, I'm going to wait. I'll probably do that a little before we, a little before we finish tonight. <laughs> huh? Okay. Well, you, I, I'm not going to be offended if you do. He ain't got to. We, we, can do, we can do it later if you want to. I don't care. I mean, it's up to y'all. I'm not saying what does. Y'all want to do it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm playing y'all playing. I'm playing y'all playing. Here you go. Ready? Ready? Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to me. Amen. That's how I got Savannah out of bed this morning. I sang happy birthday to me. Today is Daddy's birthday. She got the, she got the message. She was excited. Amen. All right, Will. Y'all going to be excited. Y'all figure out what we're preaching on tonight. I just know you are. I tell you, I, we've got two we got two married couples in the in the house tonight, and and this is a, definitely a message to married couples, but it's also a message to anybody who who plans to get married or or uh, even considers it. And uh, we have we have well, if you're out, if you're look here, let me put it to you like this: if you're out of the picture. Somebody else you know might be in the picture, so learn it so you can give them some advice. That's the way I look at this. Everything, everything that gets preached out of this book may not be for you, but it's for somebody you know, regardless if you can use it for yourself. You know, you, you, might, you know, here's the thing. I got lots of tools at the house. I've probably got lots of metric wrenches and things. I never use metric wrenches. But you know what? They're there in case I have a problem where I've got to use one. That's why I have metric wrenches. Uh, but, you know, and that's why I need a message like this tonight, because you don't never know who's live across your path. And I don't know who's going to be listening on Blog Talk Radio, and I don't know who's going to be watching on Facebook Live. And there's all kinds of people out there that have all kinds of issues in their lives and marriages. Last week we talked about adultery, and I know that was everybody's favorite subject, right? <clears throat> but the message was don't do it. Amen. Uh, the warnings about adultery, but tonight we're gonna we're gonna build upon that, and we're gonna look at how God gives us a, a message to be faithful, to be faithful in in the marriage relationship. So if you would take your Bible, turn to Proverbs five with me. Proverbs chapter five, and I'm gonna try. I'll try to make this as brief as I can because it's it's a little awkward to talk about in church some of these things. But, you know, God put it in his word. And what God put in his word shouldn't be awkward to us. As a matter of fact, it's only awkward because the world is an awkward place. But it's, what God created is a beautiful thing and nothing awkward about it. But anyway, let's read tonight, Proverbs chapter 5. And I'll tell you what we're going to do, just so that we get all the big picture. We're going to read the whole chapter, which is only 20, 
three verses. It won't take us but a minute. So let's read chapter 5, beginning verse 1. Solomon said to his son Rehoboam, My son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding, that thou mayest regard discretion, and that thy lips may keep knowledge. For the lips of a strange woman drop as a honeycomb, and her mouth is smoother than oil. Remember, a strange woman is any woman that's not your wife. And the Bible said her mouth is smoother than oil. She can talk anybody into anything. But her end is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold on hell. Ponder the path of life. Her ways are movable, but thou canst not know them. She's changeable constantly. You don't know what she's up to. Hear me now, therefore, O ye children. Depart not from the words of my mouth. Remove thy way far from her, and come not nigh the door of her house, lest thou give thine honor unto others, and thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger. And thou mourn at the last when thy flesh and body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof? Have I, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ears unto them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Drink waters out of thine own cistern, and running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountains be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the street. Let them be only thine own, not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and a pleasant robe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, for he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly shall he go astray. We're going to talk here in just the next few moments on be faithful. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you to help me now these next few moments, Lord, as I preach your word. Lord, Father, I want to help. I want to be a blessing and a help to, to those that hear. Lord, I realize, again, it doesn't pertain to everybody under the sound of my voice. But, Lord God, it's good for us to hear the truth regardless if we need it or not. And, Lord, again, I urge everybody to take this in, Lord, that we might be able to pass it on to someone else who's in need of it in their hour of need. Father God, please help us put another tool in our toolbox. Lord, another another help, Lord, in our, in our brain and our heart that we're able to use for somebody else. Lord, please teach us out of your word. We'll be glad to give you the praise and the glory for it, Lord, because it all is there to honor and magnify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, praise God. It is good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Again, as we as we look back there and we read through that, verses nine through fourteen. I want you to look at those verses there as we as we talk here for a second. <clears throat> in those verses, he's talking about disobedience to God's laws. He's talking about disobedience in the area of, of, of committing adultery. He's talking about what, what happens there. 
And when he's and when we're disob when somebody's disobedient to God's laws, it always brings sad consequences. It never turns out good. The devil always promises wonderful things, wonderful times, freedom from restraint and and rules and guidelines and all those things that we hate that tell us no, you can't do this and no, you can't do that. The devil says, "Come to me and do what you want." You know that one of the devil's favorite sayings. Um, Matter, matter of fact, well, Timothy Leary, I know some of y'all would remember that name from the 60s, maybe. He was the one that they all, a bunch of them got on the bus and took LSD and traveled across the country. He called Captain Kool-Aid or something. I can't remember. Some, uh, I, and they went out to sat on Haight Ashbury Street in San Francisco and done a bunch of drugs. But anyway, he used to have this saying during the 60s, if it feels good, do it. I know y'all heard that. Okay. Well, before he came along, back Way before that, earlier on, I want to say in the 30s and 40s, was a guy over in England by the name of Aleister Crowley. Okay, he was, he was one of the most wicked men that ever lived. Matter of fact, a bunch of heavy metal bands wrote songs about him. Ozzy Osbourne wrote one about him called Mr. Crowley, and uh, he talks about him uh, talking to the dead and dealing with Satan and all this stuff. So, I mean, they, he was a very, very, very wicked man. Well, he he influenced he influenced Timothy Leary, and he also influenced Anton Lavey. This, the uh, the high priest of the Church of Satan who died a great number of years ago, but in and so in his Satanic Bible, Anton Lavey wrote this proverb which said, "Do as thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law," which was a actual quote from Aleister Crowley. He said, "What are you talking about? Do whatever you want. That's the law you live by. That's what that's saying. Do as thou wilt, shall be the whole of the law. You just live by that one rule. Whatever I want to do, that's what I'm going to do." What that does is make you your own god. That makes that makes you your own idol, your own god. That's Luciferianism. That's the basic root of what the world worships today. Hedonism is another word for it. But it all comes down to rebellion and disobedience against God's commandments, and it costs it costs something. We say I've said you say it. Hear me say it all the time. Sin will take you further than you meant to go. It'll cost you more than you meant to pay, and keep you a lot longer than you meant to stay. And and sinners, eventually, they pay dearly for those brief moments of pleasure that they find in adultery. And when you read verses 9 through 14, you hear the words of a suffering sinner regretting the high cost of disobeying God's laws because the most expensive thing in the whole wide world is sin. Listen to verse 9 through 14. Let me read it again. He's left thy give thine honor unto others. He had honor, but he had to give his honor away. Why? He was dishonored by what he did. And he said, In thy years unto the cruel, lest strangers be filled with thy wealth, and thy labors be in the house of a stranger, and thy mourn at the last, when thy flesh and body are consumed, and say, How have I hated instruction, and my heart despised reproof, and have not obeyed the voice of my teachers, nor incline my ear to them that instructed me. I was almost in all evil in the midst of the congregation and assembly. Now, what you may not understand here, I know last week when we talked about this, we talked about alimony and child support and all that, about how you may be paying, you're having to give your years to the cruel. Well, when your wife runs, when she finally gets enough of you fooling around and runs off and she divorces you and she marries another guy and you're paying child support, you're funding his life. A lot of people in that spot. You're funding some other boys for him. He's going to run around spending your child support on his 
whatever he wants to do, or she, or she'll spend it on him, or or whatever. And and, and but back here, here, what we're talking about is the situation is the woman's husband finds out what he's been doing. Well, he makes him pay. He makes him pay. I mean, they 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 live by different rules than we do today in America. And he had to pay. He had to, he had to end up working hard labor to pay this man back with what he had done, what he'd taken from him. And you know, again, there's never an easy way. You're always going to get caught. You're always going to have to suffer. You're it's always going to get you in the end. And again, you end up you end up you end up paying way more than you ever meant to involve in it. Instead of luxury and what is what the devil promises. Oh man, this is. This is the hey. Listen, she's so much prettier, she's so much sweeter, she's so much everything than your wife. Just go on, run to her. But he finds out he loses everything that he had, and he winds up with nothing. Instead of luxury, he winds up with misery. Instead of riches, he winds up broke. Instead of success, he finds ruin. Instead of a good reputation, now he's got the name of an adulterer. You're wearing the scarlet letter. Y'all remember the scarlet letter? The book, I remember reading that. <clears throat> but he looks back and he wishes he'd listened to his parents who told him better than to do with things he'd done. He looks back and he, he wishes he'd listened to his spiritual teachers, his pastor, his Sunday school teacher. He wishes he'd listened to those who tried to give him instruction. But you see, hindsight's twenty twenty. When you're on the other side of it, it's easy to look back and see what you should have done. And all the wishes in the world can't change the horrible situation that you create for yourself when you cheat when you leave the marriage vows. And, I mean, you say, well, God, will God forgive somebody who does that? Yeah, God will forgive. He'll forgive He'll forgive the sin if the person repents. But I want you to understand something. God may forgive in his grace, but in his government he sees to it that that person reaps what they sow. You say, well, that ain't right. That ain't fair. God, listen, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Today's my birthday, and my wife didn't make me no cake. But let's just say, for example, my wife made me a, a lemon cream pie or an icebox pie. And I got home, she said, hey, I made you, I made this pie for you. And let's just say I sat up and ate the whole thing before 1 o'clock in the morning. Now, would that be gluttony? Now, tell me, would that be gluttony? Y'all, y'all tell me, is that yes or no, is that gluttony? I eat an entire lemon icebox pie. Okay. Will God forgive me for gluttony? They're going to take calories away. God's government is sure. Amen. He'll forgive you, but you still got to face the consequences for your sin. Amen. You won't see. He's going to suffer hell for it, but earthly consequences, yes, you're going to deal with them. So that's what kind of what we're talking about. So we're going to look verses 15 through 20 here. I want you to see this, the way God's describing what happens to something that's beautiful and pure and right and how it goes from being something pure to something absolutely corrupt and polluted. Okay? Look here at verses 15 through 20. Let's read them. He says, Drink waters out of thine own cistern. That's your own well. And running waters out of thine own well. Let thy fountain be dispersed abroad, and rivers of waters in the street. Let them be only thine own, and not strangers with thee. Let thy fountain be blessed, and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as a loving hind and pleasant roll. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. And why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, 
and embrace the bosom of a stranger. Now Solomon, he's, he's comparing married love between a husband and a wife to drinking pure water out of a fresh well. And he's also comparing committing uh, fornication and adultery is like drinking polluted water from a gutter or a sewer. See, God, I mean, we know God created sex. He created it to be within marriage. And within marriage, sex is like a beautiful river that brings life and refreshment to the marriage. But when it's outside of marriage, it's like a sewer and it defiles everything that it touches. What God makes, Satan always tries to take it and pervert it and corrupt it and make it into something dirty, everything. And, you know, whether we're talking about the world that we live in today, this modern world which has got filth everywhere, it's just a click away on a computer, on a phone, on anything. I mean, the vilest pornography that you can want to find is just a few clicks away on the Internet. It's all over the television set. You can find it everywhere. I think I, I feel bad for kids growing up in this world today. I mean, I feel bad. I mean, I'm not trying to talk talk ugly about anybody. I just want to tell you, when I was a little, when I was a kid, you know, boys were boys. They've always been boys. You know, if you wanted to, you had to find somebody look old enough to go in the convenience store and purchase a magazine, and everybody was scared to death to go in the store. Listen, the kids just click, 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 and they can find anything. It's a different world that we're living in. When I was growing up, it was not readily available, but it's readily available to everybody. So their minds are so easily corrupted with this stuff. And like I said, Satan wants to corrupt the idea of love that God created within the bonds of marriage and turned it into a sewer. But like I said, today, whether we're talking about today's world where everything's like that or we're talking about the ancient world back when Solomon was talking about this thing, it doesn't make any difference. There's always been an over-sexualized culture, regardless of what age you're living in, that promotes the idea that, 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 that sexual satisfaction is just a physical sensation. And, and I mean, only a fool would deny that, that God created that for physical enjoyment. But listen, a person with a mature mind realizes that he created it for intimacy. He created it, he created it <clears throat> to be the sharing of oneself with, the, with their spouse and that being a great reward in the marriage relationship. And when that, when that is re- reserved for the, for the biblical boundaries of marriage, over the years and over the decades, here's what it says. It says to the to the other person involved, I'm here for you, and you're here for me. We're in this together. It says, I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. Amen? It says, I know you more than anybody else on this earth, and yet I still love you. And you love you know me better than anybody else on this earth, and yet you still love me. Saying something right there. When you know somebody, I'm talking about their warts and all, you know everything about them, and yet you still choose to love them and show them love. It says it says our children and our home life are protected and safe. I mean, God gave us that connection to, 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 to reinforce some things, that we're not slaves to our desires. We live by principles greater than our impulses. It says that we're going to remain together, and we're going to support each other, even as we grow old. But when a person commits sexual sin, they take this beautiful river and they just pour it like garbage out in the streets in the public square. 
with with nothing precious about it. And that's a total waste of what God has created. The commitment of marriage, it's the commitment of saying, I'm going to stay with you for the rest of my life. I'm going to be committed to you forever. It's like the banks of that river. And it keeps that river in, and it keeps it strong, and it keeps it deep, and it keeps it from going out everywhere and just becoming a marshy swamp everywhere. God's Bible, God's Word, His law confines those waters within those banks of commitment. And that water that, that water contained within those banks, it, it, it gives it power, and it gives it depth. When a person goes out chasing after somebody outside the marriage, there's no depth to that. That's shallow. There's never any depth to it. It don't take much to stir up a mud puddle. And that's about all a fair is, is a mud puddle compared to a river of marriage. And, you know, well, you can stir up a mud puddle and say, well, look at all the waves we made. But there's nothing there. There's nothing there. A man and a woman who are devoted to each other in marriage they experience a deeper satisfaction that comes with love and commitment and honesty and purity that a couple who are who are committing adultery will never understand ever. But there's something more to it than just that. Solomon says uh, to the husband in verse 19, he says to the husband, he says that you're to always be ravished with her love. Now, that word ravish, that ain't even a word I use often. I don't ever say anything about being ravished. But but what that literally means here, it means the husband ought to be infatuated with his wife. He ought to be intoxicated by her love. In other words, there ought to be another woman on the planet that makes him feel that way. Uh, it, he ought to long to be with her. He ought to long to be next to her. When, when he takes her in his arms, that ought to make him feel just nearly drunk. He's just so happy about it. I mean, just make him swimmy-headed. He just can't. Uh, listen, you say, well, that wears off after a while. <clears throat> it don't have to. I've seen some sweet little old couples that are just hugging and kissing, and nobody watch. I, I mean, I'll never forget one day I drove out through Bagwell for some reason, and I passed by, and there was a couple. They probably looked like they were in their 80s, mid-80s, and they were sitting out there in a swing just cuddling and kissing, and I thought, ain't that the sweetest thing you ever seen? Amen. You know, they ain't nobody else in the world but them. Some people say, well, you get that age, you don't, you don't even think like that anymore. Well, evidently they did. Amen. They were enjoying one of those company. Again, he says, ravished with her love. Uh, you know, God wants, God, God intends uh, for, her to, uh, for, for her to be the most beautiful thing he's ever seen in his life, and, and he's supposed to be the most handsome thing she's ever laid eyes on, and nobody else is even supposed to enter into that picture. Nobody else should ever come in, come in between them and come into that picture to mess up that beautiful picture that God has created of a husband and a wife. And again, but when somebody commits adultery, that river that we talked about, it turns into a sewer. But the faithful husband, he sees that water turn into wine. To the faithful husband, the love of his wife, it just gets better as the years go by. That's the reason I use that wine reference. They, they say wine. I don't know. I don't drink wine. But they say wine matures and gets better over the years. Again, I wouldn't know. But I'm saying the marriage matures and gets better as the years go by if you do it right, if you do it in the love of God. And when a husband and a wife are faithful to, to the Lord 
and faithful to each other, and when they obey the scriptures, neither of them going to go looking for satisfaction anywhere else. I want you to listen to a couple of passages. First Corinthians chapter seven, one through five, and I and I hope I hope the young couples are young people that are married are listening close to what I'm about to say because these things are so essential to to a marriage being successful. First Corinthians seven, one through five, it says, "Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me," Paul said, "It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife." And let every woman have her own husband. You see, the reason why he's saying that is because he realized God created people with sexual uh, desires, and he said, and, and keep them from doing the wrong thing. They need to have a spouse. He said, and now notice, notice what it says, verse three and four. Uh, he says, let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. That means he's he's not to withhold his love from the wife. He's not to withhold physical affection from the wife. And likewise, also the wife unto the husband. So the wife should give the husband the love and the affection that he needs, and the, and the husband should give the wife the love and the affection that she needs. Now notice what verse 4 said, which is even more powerful. The wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. Now, that goes against this world's thinking, y'all. That goes totally against this world's thinking because we have we have wives to say, I'll just punish him. He made me mad, and I'm just going to punish him. Well, he'll get the cold shoulder from me. He can sleep in the living room. Now, listen, that's not God. Now, I'm not saying when you're arguing you shouldn't maybe sleep in a different bed sometime. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying a wife shouldn't punish her husband by withholding her affection from him, and a husband shouldn't punish his wife by doing the same thing. God says, now listen to this. This is serious. Verse 5 says, defraud ye not one the other. So if you're, if, you're, if you're punishing your spouse by withholding your affection, you're being a fraud, God says. Ooh, that hurts, don't it? Man, I mean, if, if, if the person's in that position, they say, man, God's calling me a fraud. That's it. Because he said it don't belong to you. Because, see, your body don't to – to a wife, listen, her body don't belong to her. Her body belongs to her husband. That's his. And his body don't belong to him. It belongs to her. You say, why is that? Well, when you got married, you made a vow, and you became one flesh. So it ain't your life anymore. It's our life. It ain't yours. It's mine. And what's mine is yours. That's the way God designed this thing to work. And he said, don't defraud yourself to accept Except it be with consent. That means both agree for a time. Why? That you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. Well, I understand that. We ought to have time with God away from the marriage bed. And he said, and come together again, so don't stay apart, that Satan tempts you not for your incontinency. See, God knows the desire in us that he created, and, and it's a natural desire, and he says if we're not able to control ourselves, Satan can tempt us, and drag us into either fornication, adultery, or some other some other kind of sexual sin that we shouldn't be committing. So he's saying that's why he, that's one of the reasons he created marriage, and it's, and it's it's we're supposed to not be selfish in that arrangement. And then in verse in, in Ephesians chapter five, let me read that one too, twenty two through thirty three. That's a little longer, but we'll get it. <clears throat> the apostle Paul said to the church at Ephesus, he said, wives. 
submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. That sounds like a tall order. In other words, just like the church of uh, the living God is to submit and obey the Lord Jesus Christ, the wife is to do the same thing to her own husband. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So just like Jesus, is, what he says in this church, we obey him and we go by what he said and we do what he says. That's how God designed the husband and wife relationship to work. And it's like, well, I don't like the way that works. Well, I don't care that you don't like the way that works. And you know what? God don't care. Truth does not care if you like it or not. Truth works. Truth is right. I'm not saying that to be a bully and be chauvinist or, or be anti-woman. No, God has a plan. God's plan works. And he says because the husband and the wife is a picture of Christ and his church. And Christ and his church are not on the same level. And, and that's just the way God designed it. I didn't design it. I know, hooray for me, I was born a man. But that's not, that's not, that's the way women, a lot of women who are feminists look at it, but that's not the way I look at it. Um, no, the Bible says the wife is to be to her own husband like the church is to Christ. Now, let me ask you a question. Does anybody know a church is perfect? Does anybody know Christians that are perfect? Do we fall down and mess up? Right. Do we sometimes fall short of following him perfectly? Absolutely. When we confess and say, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, I didn't mean to fall. I didn't mean to, 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 not, to not submit to you. I, I didn't mean to, to, to uh, disappoint you. I didn't mean to, to do something against you. You know what? God, he's always forgiven, isn't he? And, when, and if a wife gets her attitude on her husband or whatever, and she comes to, hey, I'm sorry, I didn't, mean, I didn't mean to jump at you like that. You know what? Husbands say, I, I forgive you, baby. That's the way. That's the way. The, it's not. It's not a tyrant in a in a whimpering servant kind of role. No, it's a, we're working together in this. But one of us has got to lead. That's the way God designed it. But then He goes and He says to husbands, "You got to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it." And I dare say that's harder, because where the where the wife has to be like us toward Christ, Christ said we need to be like Him toward our wives. Means we got bigger shoes to fill than she does. That means we're to be forgiving all the time. And there's another verse in Scripture where it says it says that the men should love their wives and don't be bitter at them. And listen, you know, God's telling us to love them even even when we're not even when they're not lovable. And He said, "If Christ loved the church, because Christ loves us when we're not lovable." Amen. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the Word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know what? He wants the marriage relationship to be the same way. He don't want affairs and and, 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 and all kinds of things going on in a marriage. He wants it to be right. He wants one man stay married to one woman for one lifetime. I know it don't always work out that way, but that's God's perfect plan. And he said, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. Amen. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. No man yet ever ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ 
and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Again, God has designed us. It's a give and take. It's a give and take. Nowhere is a wife commanded to love her husband. You know that? That seems kind of odd, didn't it? She's commanded to reverence her husband. Nowhere is a wife, a husband commanded to reverence his wife. He's commanded to love her. But, but again, both of those things are difficult if we do them in our flesh. But if we're doing it according to God and according to his word and, and seeking to please God first and foremost, then it won't be hard at all because what we'll be doing, we'll be doing out of love for one another. And that's the way God intends it to be. If we have that kind of love for one another, guess what we won't do? We won't stray from the marriage bed. We won't stray from one another. Uh, again, if we love one another, we seek to please each other and the Lord, our relationship just gets deeper. It just gets deeper with joy and satisfaction, and we won't look around for greener grass somewhere else. Now look at verse 21 through 30, or 23. 21 through 23. <clears throat> he says, <clears throat> For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in the greatness of his folly shall he go astray. You know, God gave us a great privilege when he gave us freedom of choice. But he gives us instruction, and he urges us to use that freedom wisely. God gives us his laws as guideposts to lead us down the path of life. And he watches the decisions that we make and the roads that we take. He said there in, in verse chapter 15, verse 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. So God's watching us with these choices that we're making in our life. And as long as we use this freedom wisely, we'll mature in our character as a Christian. And God can trust us with more and more freedom as we show him that we can be trusted. But if we abuse that freedom and we deliberately disobey his word, then our freedom will gradually become bondage, and it will become the kind of bondage that can't easily be broken. Verse, uh, Verse 22, it says, His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sin. So he got bound up in his own freedom. He had the freedom, and that freedom said didn't say well you'll be arrested if you leave home and go somewhere else no he went and he got himself caught up in the cords of iniquity you know those words about holding with the cords of his sins that could have been engraved on solomon's gravestone i'm not solomon's but samson's i meant to say not solomon but samson's if you remember the story of samson and delilah samson first time he he, he jokingly told delilah that that if, if he was bound with green widths or green cords, that uh, he could be bound and his strength would be gone. And, of course, she woke him up and said, the Philistines are upon you, and he snapped them like it wasn't anything. And then he told her, he said, well, if I'm bound with new ropes, then I'll, then I'll be, uh, my strength will be gone. And, and then, of course, she woke up again, woke him up again, and he snapped those, those ropes like it wasn't anything. But she ended up telling about, he ended up telling about, secret of his hair and he wound up he wound up a prisoner he wound up bound uh holding with the cords of his sin he woke up and he found out he couldn't break those cords no more 
You see, it's impossible for you to go into sin without being bound up in it. Nobody's nobody's clever enough to be able to sin without getting caught up in it. And one and one of the most deceitful things parts about sin is that again it promises freedom, but it bring it brings slavery to your life. You know, so well, I I, I, I want to get out. I'm tired of being bound up and having to live by all these rules. I want to get out and experience life. I want to get out and have fun and do all the things I never did. Usually when usually when a when a, a man or a woman leaves their husband or wife and they go out into the world, listen, they're going out for that purpose. I never got uh, you know you hear women say, "Well, I never got to I never got to experience life. I got married and I was just a teenage girl and I never got to experience what it's like to get out and have fun and I'm going to get out and live." Now in their 30s, they're going to live like a teenager. Go out and sleep around and and, and wind up in in a, in a trashy relationship. And a trashy life that heads downhill. Or a man runs off thinking he's going to find something better. And all he ends up doing is losing his whole family and everything he's got. And he winds up ruining his life. It brings slavery. It promises freedom, but it brings slavery. John eight thirty four. Jesus answered him and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin or the slave of sin. Whenever you get involved in sin, it'll become your master. The Bible said that sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, that means it's your master and you're its slave. Romans 6.16 says, Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourself servants to obey, his servants are ye to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Whoever you yield and say, I'm going to obey, you become their servant. I used to quote it a lot, but I, and, I, and again, I'm not a Bob Dylan fan, but he wrote the lyric. He said, it might be the devil or it might be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. And that's the truth. Ain't nobody serves just to sell. Now, listen, you're either going to serve the devil or the Lord, one of the two. And whoever you yield to, that's who you're going to be servant to. The cords of sin get stronger the more we sin, the more we go into sin. And yet sin deceives us into thinking we're free. And we can quit any time we want to. And as the invisible chains of habit get forged in our life, we, we discovered our own horror that we don't have the strength to break them. We thought we did. We thought we'd get out of it any time we want to. I can stop. I don't have to see her. I don't have to see him. I can stop any time I want to. I, 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 I can go right back to the way things were. No, no, no. You know, cross the line. Millions of people in our world today are in one kind of bondage or another, and they're all seeking for freedom, deliverance. But the only one who can set them free is Jesus. There ain't no deliverance in anything else. John eight thirty six says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. No wonder that Solomon is warning his son to stay away from the adulteress. He says in verse 8, Remove thy way far from her. Come not nigh the door of her house. He don't want to see his son, his life ruined. He don't want to see him throw his throw everything he's got away. Evidently, Rehoboam was married at that time from the things that we hear Solomon say, and he don't want to see him throw away his family. He don't want to see him wasted. He realizes his son, being a prince, is in a very powerful position and very admired and desired by many women in the kingdom. And he doesn't want he doesn't want to see him fall prey to some woman who comes to him with smooth word, words who says, I, you know, you can have me too as well as your wife. It, you know, it'll be okay. 
he's trying to warn him. He doesn't want to see Rehoboam head down that path to destruction. And and let me just close with something we're going to run into two chapters later, which he's already echoed in chapter 5. He says in 727, he says, Her house is the way to hell. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. Again, the devil promises happiness and joy, freedom and fun, but it's the door to hell. It's the door to hell, he says. There's nothing good when one leaves the banks of what God has created and goes out wandering from the truth, goes out wandering from what's right, goes out wandering from what's pure. There's nothing but destruction going down to the chambers of death, and only the, and only the fool rushes straight forward to destruction. I, I hope and pray that you realize, I know you do, just how serious God is about this matter. I know the world treats it like it's a joke. How many TV shows and movies have been have made a mockery of sexual sin, makes a joke of it. The world is full of it. But God's people ought to have ought to have enough sense to read the Word of God and the Spirit of God speak to them and realize that He's not playing. And we need to take we need to take this matter seriously and be a voice of reason to those who would ask us, you know, how you stay married that long? You need to tell them. Because God has given me something that's so much better than all these young people out here just going from one bed to the next. God has given me something that, that got better as the years went by. What God will give you, when God gives you something that's good, it don't, it don't go bad. It don't go bad. But all Satan's apples have worms. Amen. It look good on the outside, but you bite into it, you'll find out it's rotten in the middle. Let's stand together.